Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Everyone, and I mean everyone, at some point is going to deal with team members or peers or even bosses who act, quote unquote, crazy, irrational, sometimes even hostile. Sometimes that's temporary. Sometimes it feels like it's sustained for a long period of time, and it's enormously stressful. At least that's probably what I spend 60% of my time in coaching and helping people understand how to deal with some of the personalities that they find most trust troubling. And I find it's also one of the biggest sources of stress at work. So what we're going to talk to about today is what can you do to talk to somebody who is acting, quote, crazy, without becoming crazy yourself. So my specialist on this, well, my guest today is Mark Goldston. He's um, a physician and he's a Marshall Goldsmith NG100 coach. He's a founding member of Newsweek Expert Forum, and he's a co-founder of Michelangelo Mindset, which has been nominated for a 2021 Breakthrough Idea Award by Thinkers 50. He's the author or co-author of nine books, Just to Listen, has been translated into 28 languages, and it's become a top book on listening around the world. Now, the book we're going to talk about today is Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with Irrational, Impossible People in Your Life. And I should also add that Mark has just co-authored two additional books over the COVID period. One is called Why Cope When You Can Heal. I think we all need that one. And the second one is called Trauma to Triumph. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Well, that's a lot to live up to, Wanda. Uh, not much. I didn't even list, you know, that you have your own radio show and that you blog for Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Huffington Post, and Psychology Today. And people can find you at goulstongroup.com, spelled G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N group.com. How's that? That's good. Goulston Group is, is uh, we've taken down. So it's just Mark Goulston, markgoulston.com. So. Okay, great. But thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here too. And I'm super excited about the topic because I find, as I said, this is the number one thing that people struggle with and need help on what to do. But I want to start why. Why does this topic matter to you enough to write a book about? Well, you know, my background was as a clinical psychiatrist. And for 25 years, I focused on suicide prevention. And I was very fortunate and humbled. None of my patients died by suicide. And what I learned from working with them is how do you go inside and disarm people from their uh, cra- uh, craziness, their irrationality, their, uh, their acting out and acting up in your face. And something that I've discovered, and I wonder if you agree with this, that one of the top three destructive forces in business is conflict avoidance. Mm. And that's because the majority of people feel that if they confront any conflict that they're having with another person, it will make it worse. It will escalate. And here's one of the problems if you're a leader. Uh, 
the eyes of your company are on you. And if you avoid dealing with conflict, or if you're very good at visioning and strategizing and iterating your IP, but then you delegate or abdicate the people responsibility to HR or COO or your COO, you can do that. But if you can be better able to deal with conflict yourself, the sense of psychological safety in the company and people's respect for you and your respect for yourself will go through the roof. I agree with you that it's a massive problem. I find people either lean headlong into conflict and create all sorts of chaos around them, or they completely avoid it. I guess there's a third strategy, which is they're going to tag somebody else to go and do the hard work. And sometimes it's HR or a CEO. Sometimes it's just a junior that you wind up to go and tackle a problem that really the leader should be doing themselves. I see a lot of that one. I personally believe that the teams that are going to win, the ones that are really going to excel and win in every way we'd want to win in our organizations, are the ones that master the ability to have the conflict conversations because that's where the execution goes awry, that's where the ideas come from, and the ability to lean into the conflict is huge. So I agree with you, totally agree with you. You know, it's interesting. I'm working with a number of accelerators. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so I'm advising their startups and doing presentations to help them not lose valuable time, which they don't have that much of. And one of the tips they found most useful is I say, when you're hiring anyone or you're partnering with anyone or you're dating someone and wondering, well, should we take the next step? A good question to ask people is, tell me about conflicts in your your career, in school. So it's an open-ended question, but it's going to reveal uh, a great deal about them. And and then you want to drill down and say, well, tell me about what you think caused the conflict or who caused the conflict. And I give, and I suggest uh, if, uh, if the person gets three strikes, say no, even if they're highly talented and here are the three strikes, tell me about conflict and, you know, what led to it, who led to it. Second question is, how did you contribute to the conflict? You know, we're all part of this. Yeah. If there's still like a, a clueless deer in the headlights going, Mwah, yeah. <laughs> Mwah, and they still don't get it, they get a third strike. And the third strike is, you know, going forward, differences of opinion uh, are inevitable. It's great. It's great for, you know, developing uh, better decision making. So in the event going forward that we run into differences of opinion, or conflict, tell me the best way for us to get through it if the main goal is to get through it as expeditiously as possible. If they are still clueless, I'd think long and hard about hiring them. And at this stage of my life, I'm a little bit older, uh, I, I only add people to my life that I look forward to seeing now. I agree with that one. And I know too many people who believe, well, we'll bring this person in. We know that they're not going to do conflict particularly well, or they're not a great communicator. We'll dress it up in all sorts of words, but we sort of somehow believe we can morph them into the character that we need them to be. 
um, as opposed to facing what it is that you choose. And I love your three questions. It's fabulous. Tell me about a conflict. What was your role in it? And if we have conflict in the future, what do you think we are to do about it? Great questions. All right. I want to go back to the book, though. You said you said talking to crazy is the title of the book. Crazy. What do you mean by crazy? And more importantly, how do we tell the difference between sort of ordinary crazy and really seriously psychologically crazy? Well, it's interesting. I'm going to give you a minute on this is this is marketing and titling 101. Because I took a lot of heat from the psychiatric and psychological profession. You wrote a book called Talking to Crazy. We have so much stigma. How could you do that? And I would say, did you read the book? No. Uh, it's really about people who drive us crazy. <laughs> it's not about mental illness. I'm very passionate and compassionate about being empathic. In fact, talking to crazy is about being empathic with people who drive you crazy to disarm them. But here is the titling marketing 101. Here's a concept. This is kind of value added to our conversation called mental real estate. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, Tony Baxter, was one of the Imagineers at Disney, and he shared the term with me. He said, mental real estate is when you come up with a familiar term and you twist it. So he said, Pirates of the Caribbean owns the word pirates in the minds of kids. So Disney owns the word pirates. That's a lot of mental real estate. And so talking to crazy has a fair amount of mental real estate. When I was talking to people and say, I'm thinking of writing a book called Talking to Crazy. Now, those people uh, not being in the uh, medical profession or psychological profession, they said, oh, I need that today. Well, what do you mean? I talk to crazy every day. And so that had some mental real estate. But a couple of years ago, I spoke in Moscow and I headlined with a Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman. He wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. He has a great new book out called Noise. And I asked the people doing the event, I said, "I'm, I'm just a shrink from California. I mean, this guy's a Nobel Prize winner. Why Why are you having me with equal bullying, billing? And they said, doctor, his book did not go viral. So here's, ta- here's talking to crazy, which has good mental real estate. But the Russian edition is how to talk to a-holes. And it went viral. <laughs> it went viral. I'm telling you, across Russia. Uh, uh, you know, when I was in Moscow, I'd go into bookstores and I'd see the book and show. They said, "You're the author of whatever it was," but that is mental real estate. Yeah. Right. So, if you're going to come up with a title, I, clearly, that. I need to take that on board and work a little harder on my titles. Um, though you can't know it all, seems as a title to have worked fairly. I well. love that. That is wonderful. Thank you. Um, I find when I'm talking to clients, one of the hot topics is we want to talk about difficult people. And that's the euphemism that makes it okay to talk about it. And what I find is difficult is always a relative term. This person may be difficult for me and not difficult for you. It's just a personality or a behavior in a moment that someone is not so comfortable with dealing with. They don't have good tactics for doing it. And I think part of the point of your book is that all of us, every single one of us, have our own version of irrationality when our emotions get pushed, when we're in the thinking fast space in the Daniel Kahneman terms. Um, and we, you know, we just get a little, well, some would say overly emotional. Is that a fair summary? Do you agree with me? 
That is a great summary, but I want to build on something you just said, if that's okay, because you're right. There are some people that uh, trigger people and other people who uh, don't trigger anyone. And and one of the, one of the best examples of a leadership moment happened in 1995. And I was at a, uh, I did a workshop at an international real estate conference in Dallas. And one of the keynote speakers was General Colin Powell. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they were floating his name, you know, should he run for president or not? And so there were 10,000 people in the Dallas Auditorium. And he was inspiring. Now, this is a very transactional audience. This is real estate right. brokers and, and agents. And you know, sometimes inspiration can be lost in a highly transactional audience, but he won the audience over. And then during the Q&A, someone said, General Powell, I understand that your wife was depressed. She had shock treatment. She was in a mental hospital. Do you want to comment on that? And the whole audience, 10,000 people, went, you could hear a pin drop. And I'm thinking, to your point, how is he going to handle this? Is he going to ignore it? Is he going to say something politically correct, such as uh, we, you know, we need to address mental uh, illness problems the same way as physical illness? What was he going to do? So one of my favorite uh, uh, quotes to leaders uh, is, uh, and you might write this down, aggression plus principle equals conviction. Aggression minus principle equals hostility. Meaning it's good to be aggressive, but it needs to be tied to a principle or a mission. If it's only tied to your own personal feelings, you're going to become hostile. So this is what he said, Wanda. And so imagine you're in the audience. It's quiet. He says, excuse me, sir. The person you love more than anyone in this world is living in hell. And you don't do everything in your power to get them out. Do you have a problem with that, sir? Can you feel the power of that? Oh, yeah. <sighs> That's what I call aggression plus principle. Uh, you can take me on, but don't you talk <laughs> about my wife, though. Right. But, but, and, but to your point, I, I'm now working with an organization, actually a law firm, and, I, and I'm working with the partners, and I said, you know, you have a great opportunity. Um, all of you are not only smart but each of you flirts with wisdom. You don't spend much time there, but you, uh, you know, but you all have the capacity for wisdom. And if you could lean into that so that people can appreciate your wisdom in addition to your intelligence, what'll happen is you'll become a person that other people want esteem from Mm -hmm. and they don't want to disappoint. I had eight mentors. I call them the Dead Mentor Society. The last one was Larry King, and before him was Warren Bennis. And uh, their esteem for me was so important to me that I would never make a promise to do anything that I wasn't 150% certain I was going to do. And so uh, so, so it's, it's kind of tickling their uh, fancy. I said, do you know people that are incredibly wise and they are centered? like General Powell. And what happens is you just get a sense that, you know, if you try to pull any of your crazy stuff at them, they're not going to get angry. They're going to look at you kind of puzzled. (laughs) Like, huh? Like, what's that about? 
and they just don't get triggered. All right. So, Mark, tell us how we become more wise. So there are people, I'm up against a deadline, I've got my own level of stress, there's a lot of anxiety on whether it's going to work, and somebody comes at me with one of the crazy triggers, Um, they make me crazy, not that they're crazy, let's say that they get overly hostile or that they're overly wrought, emotionally wrought themselves, and they go off on a rant. How do I keep from getting triggered? How do I become wise? So here's the tip and tactics, because I'm on a lot of podcasts and they say, yeah, we like your insights, but what can can my listeners do, Mark? I mean, give them something they can do. So uh, when I'm coaching executives, CEOs, I say, uh, take out a sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle. Mm -hmm. On the left side, write down the names of people where just the sound of their name, just a text (laughs) message, just... Just anything from them, you get a knot in your stomach. Mm -hmm. Without editing, just write their names down. On the right side, write down the people that lift you up, the people that you should thank, but you don't spend enough time thanking them because you're so busy dealing with the people on the left side of the sheet. And so you list those people without editing. And I said, all those people on the left side, never expect them not to act up. So when you're in a conversation with them, you can be present, but hold a little bit of yourself back because when, they're, uh, when you're wanting them to do something they don't want to do, they'll act up. When someone's upset them and they're, and they're trying to make their problem your responsibility to fix, they'll act up. So, so learn to hold a little bit of yourself back. That doesn't mean be aloof, but be ready for them to uh, act up, and then when they and if they don't act up, that's gravy. But if they do act up, one of the things that nearly all difficult people have in common is they frustrate us, they anger us, they outrage us, and most of us are uncomfortable going from outrage to enraged. Mm-hmm. And so, as soon as they see. Uh, that they've outraged us, we will pull in with it and do everything we can to keep a lid on ourselves so that we don't become enraged. And when they see that we're off balance, that's when they can usually get away with things. So if you watch them mosey on in, now they may not come in uh, uh, in a calm way. They may come in already frustrating you, angering you. And at the moment when they're trying to provoke you, uh, the tendency is if you're a deer in the headlights, they have you, but expect them to do that. And then when they do that, uh, pause for one and a half to two seconds and look them in the eye. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get very nervous Mm -hmm. because their best shot at provoking you didn't work. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are different things you can say to them. Mm -hmm. They're going to be nervous. And here are a few things. Uh, Could you say that back to me in a calmer voice? Because the way you told me, it got me all sort of, you know, agitated inside. Or or you can say, um, uh, can you say that to me again? Because my mind wandered when you were were, uh, saying it the first time, and it sounded very important. 
Um, or you can look at them and just go, tilt your head and go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's going to happen is they're going to get agitated. And then something that I'm recommending to a lot of people, there's a book that Oprah Winfrey and I think Dr. Bruce Perry uh, wrote in the last few months called What Happened to You? And it's about something called trauma-informed therapy. And what it means is believe that basically all people are decent inside. We, we fortunately don't run into dyed-in-the-wool evildoers. But a lot of people are deeply flawed. And given that, they're flawed. It's usually from trauma. So if your position with that person is, what happened to them that triggered this? I think one of the most empathic things you can do is let them get upset and say, what happened to you that this is what you're talking to me and, and how you're talking to me? And they're going to go, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, this is not the you I believe you to be. What happened to you to trigger this? This last one, I confess, is my go-to response. And often I don't say it to the person. I'm just doing it in my head. Like, what on earth happened before you came to me that got you this upset? Because clearly I haven't said anything that warrants that level of degree of upset. So what happened before? And it keeps me out of the loop of, you know, engaging in my own anger and in frustration and then acting that out. Absolutely. It's surprising what you find along the way and what it is that really was their trigger for them. But in the moment, that is an extremely difficult thing to do because it takes enormous energy. As you said, you have to hold back a little bit. You have to expect this a little bit. You have to be prepared to take a deep breath, whatever else it is, to keep you from engaging in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think you just gave a, a, a great little primer of uh, how you do it and how we can emulate how you approach it. And, and I think in many cases that will work. Yeah. But I also like your idea of just sort of saying, in effect, say that again, <laughs> just to get them to say it in a different way, say it in a calmer way, to repeat themselves, um, to say, huh, just to get another round on it that hopefully is with a little less intense emotion, a little less triggering emotion. Okay? Right. Absolutely. Let me, let me ask you, uh, do I have time for an anecdote that people absolutely enjoy? So uh, I, I often give talks and keynotes. I, I gave a recent keynote at the Women in Technology uh, International Summit, and it was called Never Be Bullied Again, mm, 2,000 okay. women. And what I share is, uh, I say, where were you on September 6, 1995? And people will say, huh? And I'll say, you don't remember that day? And I'll say, do you remember a trial? There was a small trial that was going on around that time called the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh, I said, and if you're a little bit older, you remember some of the characters. And I said, well, on that day, September 6, 1995, the rest of the world was glued to their TV sets because there was a character in the trial named Detective Mark Furman who took the Fifth Amendment uh, and refused to testify about having said the N-word, which made the whole trial inflammatory. Right. Now, everybody in the world was glued to their TV sets, and they got to see it except me because I was sequestered in the top floor of the criminal courts building because F. Lee Bailey had accused me of coaching, medicating, and influencing 
Detective Mark Furman during uh, the cross-examination earlier in the trial, and they sent a subpoena out to me, mm-hmm. and it didn't find me because I was in a building that conveniently fell down during the 1994 earthquake, and so I, I didn't have an address. <laughs> and and so, uh, so uh, the trial went on, and then it proceeded towards the end of the trial, and on September 6, 1995, I really learned 90% of what I know about difficult people in that one day. What I realized is that difficult people, uh, uh, and in F. Lee Bailey, because I was going to face F. Lee Bailey at 7 p.m. that day, yeah. and I didn't know that Detective Furman had taken the Fifth Amendment, and I knew that he was going to charm me, frustrate me, anger me, outrage me, and then try to enrage me. Mm-hmm. And so when he came in, Wanda, um, and the people listening to this won't get it, but you'll get it, is uh, I have this way of making eye contact. I can make eye contact and hold your eyes and take them wherever I want. And it's something that I use to good purpose with my suicidal patients because I hold on to their eyes and say, you're going to walk out of this and you're going to reach a point where you're glad you're alive. So it came from a good place. And I knew he was going to charm me, frustrate me, anger me, and try to provoke me. Mm-hmm. And here's something else I learned about the power of innuendo. So he sits down and he looks at me and I hold on to his eyes. And he said, we don't know why you're here, Dr. Goulston. We know you've been here through a number of days during the trial. And we're here to find out about you know, what you did with Detective Mark Furman. Now, I didn't coach anybody. What I did is I faxed observations to the prosecution and uh, and I probably faxed about 150 pages, and it would have made a great book. But to me, I'm not an opportunist. Right. I was probably naive. It could have, the book could have done really well with 150 faxes to the prosecution, but it was a double murder. And, uh, and so he looks at me and he says, we don't know exactly what your role is, and we're here to talk to you about Detective Mark Furman. And that's where I learned the power of innuendo. Because when someone makes a statement like that without a question, what you normally go is, uh-huh. And then they make another statement and you go, uh-huh. And as you lean in, they are reeling you in to tee you up to basically smash you. Mm-hmm. And so in, he would say these statements and instead of going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I would just blink my eyes like I'm doing towards you. I go, and about five minutes pass, and one of the prosecutors said to me, Mark, you haven't said anything. And I said, he hasn't asked me a question. And so uh, F. Lee Bailey kind of flinched, and, which communicated to me that maybe there was more to me than he thought there was. So he started asking questions. And my mindset, as I looked into his eyes the whole time, like I'm looking into your eyes, was I'm not perfect, but I'm not hiding a... Uh, a person who killed two people. What's your story? So that was my mindset. And then after several minutes, uh, uh, he uh, he says to one of the prosecutors, who was the first prosecutor working with Marsha Clark, he said, uh, uh, I don't think we uh, have to call uh, Dr. Goulston on the stand. It was really a moot point. I'm not even sure why we did this because uh, Furman had taken the Fifth Amendment and I hadn't done anything. And so uh, at that point, um, 
he he gets up to leave, and I said, um, uh, "Mr. Bailey, uh, I have a question to ask you." And he looked at the prosecutor with a look that said, "Who's your little friend?" Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the prosecutor is about eight inches taller than me, and uh, and uh, his name was Bill Hodgman. And I said, "Bill, I've got it handled." And I said, "I said." Uh, uh, oh no! I'm, I'm missing the most important part. What happens is he pushes me. So, it, so the equivalent of his saying, "Are you here to say you never said the N word?" He escalates. He reaches that point of trying to outrage me, and he says, "Are you here to say that you never coached, you never medicated, you never did anything with Detective Mark Furman uh, to affect his testimony?" And so everybody in the room looked at me like the uh, E.F. Hutton commercial, Mark's going to speak. And it was working so well, I counted to seven, kept looking in Bailey's eyes. And then I went like that. Everyone leaned in and it was working well. I counted to seven again. And then when I uh, finished, I looked at Bailey and I used innuendo on him. I said, Mr. Bailey. And he goes, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh. And imagine this, I'm holding his eyes for the entire time. I said, Mr. Bailey, my mind wandered the last five or six minutes. uh, And it seemed like what you were saying was important. But my mind wandered. uh, Could you repeat everything you said? He goes, what? I said, I said, yeah, it seemed important. But, you know, I was really wondering whether I can get my car out of the parking lot because they locked it two hours ago. He goes, huh? I said, well, if it wasn't important, then you know, that's okay, too. And he looked at the, another pro, uh, one of the other uh, defense attorneys to say, what did I say? <laughs> because, see, difficult people, when they know they can provoke us, they don't need substance. Because if they can provoke us to be off balance, they don't have to make a case because we're so busy calming ourselves down. And that's when a few minutes passed. And then, he, and then you know, clearly there was nothing uh, nothing I had to hide. And that's when uh, he got up to leave. And I said, Mr. Bailey, um, I have a question for you. Uh, remember earlier in the trial, they said, once the someone says the N word, you can't unring a bell. And he said, yeah, so what? And I said, in front of America and the world, you indicated you'd be speaking to me today and you connected me with Detective Mark Furman, who is currently seen as one of the most racist cops in America. So you slurred me. Is there any way we could unslur a slur? Mm-hmm. And he just chuckles, goes out of the room. And uh, the prosecutor said, Mark, they spelled your name wrong. It's okay. Uh, and then he come, when Bailey comes back in and he looks at me and he says, I'll trade you a retraction in tomorrow's newspaper if you tell me what you figured out about me. <laughs> now, thank you for allow, giving me a long leash, Wanda, but I, I think the story is very revealing. It's a good story, but if the difficult people will push us into our rage, then most of us are really uncomfortable. Right. But if you know they're going to do that, then hold Wait. a little bit of yourself back. <clears throat> and then when they do that, you know, uh, say what Wanda has uh, suggested or what I suggested. Yeah. And also... If you can remember way back earlier in the interview, I said, make a list of the people that you're grateful to. Mm-hmm. Because one of the mistakes we make too often is we don't express our gratitude and thanks to the people who really care about us. 
because we're so busy managing our upset at the difficult people that we just don't go to the place in our mind to really consciously make a point of reaching out and telling the people we're grateful to how grateful we are to them. Right, right. So what you're advocating is put less energy, energy from ourselves, less psychic energy into the people who are upset and more of our psychic energy into the others and holding back from allowing people to get us to that place of outrage and enrage. I expect it. I anticipate it. I have a way of pausing it. I have a sentence or a thing to say that lets me back off so they can't provoke me. Because if they can't provoke me, then things can begin to dissipate. Absolutely. And when I coach executives who get a taste of this and they say, this is, well, you're helping me confront conflicts all over my life. And some of them, I say, well, would you like advanced training? And they say, well, what is that? I said, one of the most powerful ways, one of the most uh, best ways to express your true authority Mm -hmm. uh, is to be present. And one of the ways to be present is to have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to demonstrate that. So this is a little bit out of context, but, but tell me if you can feel this kind of skin in the game, because I coached one executive and he loved it. I I said, when you have one of these people that you're deciding you're going to keep because you need their skills and whatever, and you can't afford to let them go, uh, what we worked out, and this is a demonstration of how he had skin in the game, when the person acted up, he would say to them, I'm dangerously close to rooting against you. Mm Mm-hmm. And it makes no sense for me to have anyone in this company that I root against. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't want anyone in this company that I don't enthusiastically root for. And the reason I'm close to rooting against you, and then you list the observable behaviors because you say this and this is what you do. And this happens and then you make excuses. And so you list them as observable behaviors and you say, let's just consider this a conversation. I'm not going to write it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I think you're talented and you owe it to your talent to not do this stuff that distracts from it. But before I reach the point where I start to root against you, we're going to make changes. Mm -hmm. But can you feel the skin in the game? Kind of like what Colin Powell said. It's like, wow, that's a different presence because what I've discovered is there's a lot of uh, CEOs who, re- who are very good in their analytical intellectual skills, but they don't know how to be present like this. And they expect that, you know, a giving a logical uh, explanation or argument is going to work with a difficult person. Mm-hmm. If you think that's going to work, you're going to be mincemeat. <laughs> so they need to know without you getting upset that you have that sense of aggression plus principle plus mission. Makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. And I like that sense of I've shown that I care about this, that I'm willing to be a part of it, that I take some. It's almost like there's a more ownership. There's more of me in the success here than what I've done before. There's more of my decisions. And I love your idea of, um, principle. You see, how did you say that one again? That aggression plus principle 
is conviction, but aggression minus principle is hostility. Aggression Absolutely. meaning assertiveness, confidence is, there, I think, the right way to say it. Absolutely. That. So I'm frequently brought into partnerships that are having conflict. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't see this in myself. And I've learned it from, I've been blessed to have wonderful mentors like, uh, like Warren Bennis and six more before him. And they all had a certain presence. Mm-hmm. And what I'm told is when I step into that conflict, uh, there's, a, there's an unflappable but present quality. And in a sense, what I'm communicating, and I'll even say this verbally, is uh, 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 no one's going to get bullied as long as on my watch. And at the first sign that someone is starting to bully another person, I'm going to call time out. And I'm going to take the person who's talking over, at, or down to another person. I'm going to take them aside and find out what's going on that's so frustrating them. And the other people can go have coffee. Yeah. But on my watch, you know, uh, I'm not going to tolerate that because we we can't progress as long as anyone is talking over, at, or down to other people. And, And I just can't allow it. Don't I wish more leaders would exactly do that behavior in every single team meeting or meeting that they led. No one is talking over, at, or down to somebody else. Otherwise, I stop. We'll figure out what's going on and we'll come back to it. All right, Mark, this is a perfect place to take a break. So my guest today is Mark Goulston. You can find out more from Mark at markgoulston.com. The book that we're talking about today is Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Irresponsible People in Your Life. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the kinds of crazy and a few more questions around the bullying tactic. We'll be right back. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. 
You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Mark Goulston. He is a psychiatrist, consultant, coach, speaker, and author, um, having done a whole host of amazing things in his life, including the co-founder of the Michelangelo Mindset, which has been nominated for a Breakthrough Idea Award. He's the author of nine books, author or co-author of nine books. The one we've been talking about today is Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life. But I can also recommend one of his bestsellers, which is called Just Listen, especially if you're looking for tactics on how to listen more effectively. And there are two brand new books out called Why Cope When You Can Heal and Trauma to Triumph. Now, one of the things that's fabulous about talking to crazy is there are 14 tactics listed in this book on things that you can do. We've talked about a couple of them along the way where the principles are really that I'm going to anticipate this individual that is making me crazy, that I need to anticipate that they're going to make me a little bit crazy, and I don't let them get me to the stage of being outraged or enraged. And then I hold back just a little bit. And then a couple of tactics are things like when they say something that's just outlandish, not to react, to pause, count to seven, and then say, huh, or can you say that again? Or I want mine wondered, say it one more time or say that in a calmer way. Or try to ask the question of what is it that triggered you to make you so upset being in my office are a couple of the tactics for dealing with. And the other tactic we've been talking about is the subtle innuendo cues that you use with both your eyes and with your body language, I would argue, that don't take the bait. My words, not Mark's words. When somebody is trying to bait you, when they're trying to trigger you and get you to react and get you to say something that gives them an advantage in some ways. And to stay calm in many ways in that moment. And we've also talked about the power of being present. Just that I'm not going to let anybody on my watch as a leader be talked over, down to, or at. I'm going to pause and deal with it. Okay, so that was a, we covered a lot, Mark, with an awful lot of stories. All right. One of the things that's fascinating about your book, apart from the 14 tactics, is also just the ways in which you identify the kinds of crazy. So highly recommend this to people to go through the irrational, the overly logical, a whole bunch of characteristics in there. But you make a big point about understanding our own version of crazy. Like, what is it that I do that makes other people crazy? So if you explain this concept to us a bit. Yeah, I think the more you get 
you you develop self-knowledge and self-awareness, your emotional intelligence. And I know to leaders, it's such a woo-woo term. Uh, you know, why do I have to become aware of other people? And, and I and I feel for leaders like this. And one of the reasons they often push back about it is because they're so hypertrophied in their analytical skills, their ability to come up with vision, strategy, IP, that they just feel super competent in that area, whereas often in the area of emotional intelligence, they can feel utterly clueless. All you have to do is ask their spouse or their teenagers, <laughs> and uh, and 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 they and 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 so they don't want to uh, have their nose rubbed in areas that they're really uh, either they never developed or they atrophied, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so one of the things that I use, because I like to give tactics, is uh, I'm a great believer in mentors. I've had eight mentors. They've all died. The last one was Larry King, and before him was Warren Bennis and six others before them. And one of the ways I talk myself down from crazy or agitated is I will call upon one of the members of my dead mentor society. And uh, I tend to, I don't get really angry at other people, but I will get angry at myself, for instance. And I hope this podcast so far is satisfactory to you. But there, were, there was a time in which I would just beat up on myself. Mark, you were so long-winded. Mark, you didn't even finish the story. Mark, you said the five most important points are this, and you only gave three. So what I would do after podcasts is I would call up one of my dead mentors And recently, I did that with a podcast, and I called out Larry King. And and when he talked to me, he had his – because I went to breakfast with him for two years before COVID, along with his breakfast group of quirky people. And I called. I said, Larry, I did it again. And in his Brooklyn voice said, what? What? Mark, I'm not even cold yet. What's the problem here? I said, I did it again. What? I was on a podcast. Mark, you're on a lot of podcasts. You know, give me a break. I'm not even resting in peace. What happened? I said, well, I went on tangents. I was long-winded. What do the hosts think? They want me back again. Mark, Mark, you know, can you give me a break? Can you put a sock in it already? You know, let me go. Let me, let me go rest in peace. It took me a long time. You know, it's not been a, it wasn't a good time before. But the point is, and we're being humorous about it, but what I would say to any of you is if you can think of people who cared about you, living or dead, and you call them up to talk you down from DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 5, what will happen is if you can imagine them re-communicating to you their belief in you, caring about you, what's going to happen, and I'll give you a little taste of neurobiology, is you're going to be bathed in something called oxytocin. And oxytocin is the empathy hormone. And what happens is when you can feel cared about by another individual, as I did when I had that comic interchange with Larry, uh, what happens is high oxytocin counteracts high cortisol and high testosterone. So what I suggest to people is when you're feeling upset with yourself, yes, if logic works, go for it. Make a list of the pros and cons and whatnot. But what works for me is in your mind's eye, just think about someone who cares about you and imagine them talking you down because I transition into being grateful, appreciating these people. And since they've all passed away, missing them. And I just go into this great feeling of 
how lucky was I that they cared about me? I can see that working incredibly well. Um, to get out of the self-critical mode and into the I am cared about mode. Even if I didn't handle that the way I wanted to handle it, I'm still cared about. Okay. Fair enough. And I agree with you, by the way, on so many of our executives, we do overemphasize the IQ components of our job and have years of success based on that expertise and the exercising of that expertise and developing and the strengthening and all that. And we just don't exercise that emotional intelligence muscle until much later in life. And then surprise, surprise, it's a little weak. So it takes exercise. It takes attention. All right. Um, well, can I give you, there's a suggestion yeah. I want to give you. So, so something I've become uh, enamored with is something called the open loop. And the open mm-hmm. loop is when you open someone's awareness to something that they need to resolve, mm-hmm. but you don't give them the answer. You, you wait to see if they want to do it. And I, I've developed an open loop approach to the importance of listening. And you can use this with uh, executives because listening sounds woo-woo. And I'll say, think of someone who cares about you, cares about your success and believes in you. And in your mind's eye, how would they answer if you said, what would be the positive effect on my uh, my success, people's respect for me, and our relationship if I became a better listener? Small, medium, large. And most people in your mind's eye would say medium, but here's the open loop. Uh, Now, if you were to ask that person, what has been the negative effect that has already happened when I have been at my absolute worst, interrupting everyone, talking over people, uh, at my absolute worst as a listener, uh, what has been the negative impact that it's already had on my success, people's respect, and our relationship, small, medium, large, it's large. And what happens is, there's a great opportunity there when you when you reveal something that you did uh, unintentionally or maybe intentionally that frustrated or hurt someone else, you give that the chance for that to come out. And then if that happens, you look them in the eye because they're going to feel exposed. And if you care about that, you did that to them, you look them in the eye and you could say, I did that. I do that too often. You deserve better. I'm going to fix it. And I'm sorry. Great. Perfect way to make uh, amends. I think I did that. I do it too often. Um, I'm going to fix it. And you deserve better. I like that one. You deserve better. Um, And I have seen that work astronomically well, provided you don't do it too many times. Because if you follow it the next month with the same statement and the next month with the same statement after a while, I say, oh, yeah, are you going to fix this? Okay, I want to talk about this notion of the Michelangelo Award, so or Michelangelo mindset, I think is the right word for it. This is this new idea that you have, but there's a mindset, a philosophy underneath it. Tell us a little bit about that philosophy. Well, um, it's explained my whole life to me professionally and personally. So there's a quote that Michelangelo said where he said, I saw the angel in the marble and kept carving until I freed it. And so I realized that when I was a suicide expert, I saw hope inside my patients who felt hopeless. Mm -hmm. And I freed everything I could so that they could see it and feel it themselves. Mm -hmm. And when they started to feel hope, 
their suicidality went away. And so when I'm working with startups, I say inside your customers and clients is a desire to buy from you, but you can chase it away out of your hunger. Inside your investors are people who want to give you their money. They don't want to sit on money, but you have to clear away everything that would get in the way of it, such as triggering anxiety in them, distrust, whatever. Uh, Inside the, the top talent that you're trying to attract to your company is someone that wants to work for the best company where they can fulfill their potential. And all you need to do is clear away everything that gets in the way of their thinking they couldn't do it at your company. And when you're working with your people, uh, we've come up with a Michelangelo culture transformation process that is so simple, it makes more complicated ones uh, unnecessary. And I'll just give it away because I'm at that stage in my life where I just want to share everything I know with the world in the time I have left. And the Michelangelo cultural transformation thing is simply this. You reach out to all your employees and say, I know that if all of you wake up in the morning and the first thing you say is, I can't wait to go to work, we have a great culture. If you wake up thinking something other than that or the opposite, we have a bad culture. So going forward, what are the what are three positive, observable, consistent behaviors that we must do? and three negative ones that we must eliminate completely, that if we did that would cause you to say, I can't wait to go to work in the morning, because that's what we want you to say to your peers when you go to Starbucks, because we want to attract some of your peers to our company. And if they don't feel that way about their company, and they ask you, how's our company? You say, I can't wait to go to work. If they don't feel it about their company, they're going to say, are you hiring? (laughs) But But can you see how the Michelangelo mindset just clears everything else away, and it's there. It um, certainly does capture the essence of the conversations we've had about talking to people who make you crazy. The book is called Talking to Crazy, but we're mean people who make you crazy in that I clear away. I don't allow myself to get sucked into the negative. I clear away to see the positive in that, to see the essence of the idea, to see what might have triggered them, to just have them repeat it again and get back to what is going to make, what is really going on here. I can't, I think that's the idea that you're advocating here, Mark. Well, I wanted to clear away the fact that you have been one heck of an interviewer, listener, and recaller. You're recalling things I don't even remember we talked about. <laughs> now, that's not a good sign. Let's hope, it's a, let's hope we've got it right. Well, anyway, Mark, thank you for being a guest today. My guest is Mark Goulston. The book we've been talking about again is Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life. I think what's so powerful about this is that it actually is possible to deal with them, to learn to cope to them, with them and have them not turn you into crazy on the other side. And I should say that Mark has a number of other books, and you can learn more about Mark on his website at markgoulston, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N dot com. Thank you for joining us this week. Join us next week for another episode and getting more wisdom for getting out of your comfort zone. If you'd like to know more about how to apply these concepts, check out our subscription service at outofthecomfortzone.com, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. 
Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week. 